The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Nice to see you all. Nice to see all these, these wonderful faces. Um, so today we're going to talk about equanimity and practice equanimity. Uh, equanimity is um, natural state of being when we're not, when we don't have any hindrances. Believe it or not, just a resting state of being, a natural state of being, is equanimity. Gil, Gil describes it really well. He calls it a deeply relaxed, alert state where one doesn't try to do anything. Resting in being. Equanimity is uh, uh, the, 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 the quality of feeling that we see when we look at a Buddha. I think that's what comes through the most, the most saliently, uh, this feeling of equanimity, of peace, of broadness, of ease, deep ease in a Buddha. So when we're not being obstructed with hindrances, we are resting in equanimity. It's also the pinnacle, the last of the divine abodes. The divine abodes are the feelings, the qualities of heart of an enlightened being as well of a mature human being, a a human being that is not afflicted with hindrances. And those are, as you probably know, metta or loving kindness, karuna, compassion, Mudita, appreciation or joy, just being alive, and equanimity. So I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be happy? I think the answer for everyone is a resounding yes. We have a deep longing to be happy. More than anything else, we want to be happy. So if you feel that longing, it's love. It's the same feeling as love. It's love for ourselves. We want ourselves to be happy. And if there are no hindrances, no obstructions with others, we want them to be happy. Feel that. Feel the love that you have for someone when you want them to be happy. It's a natural feeling. And I'll ask you another question. Would you like to not suffer? Again, I think the answer is Yes, I don't want to suffer. I do not want to suffer. 
And the feeling for that is compassion. It's exact. So we have these deep, deep longings that are essentially who we are. The desire for happiness, love, the desire to not suffer. And when we're not suffering, when we're not impeded by obstructions, when we're just here, some appreciation, some gratitude just naturally arises. Some joy arises. It doesn't have to be an overwhelming joy. It could be a quiet joy, but just a joy of appreciation of being alive. We all have that too. And we all deeply want to be free. We want to be liberated. We want to be awake, just awake. And that's equanimity. And we want our friends to be free. We might want everyone to be free. So this is the law. This is our nature. This is our essential goodness. And it's wonderful to know this, to be aware of this, to really be aware of it, where we put our attention where we put our awareness is what we become. So the more we're aware of the goodness in our nature, which is so much so clearly here, the more we become these limitless, boundless, heavenly qualities, divine abodes, we are divine. You are, you are all divine. You are all lovable. We are all lovable. What gets in the way? What gets in the way? There, there are a lot of uh, descriptions of what gets in the way. The hindrances, obstructions, the clashes, greed, hate, and delusion. Um, one formulation of what gets in the way is what we'll be studying next, the eight worldly winds. For some insane evolutionary reason, we have created this self that doesn't exist. It's a deception, but we have created this conceptual self that is separate from everyone else. And it's all about me, me, me. Even though science, quantum physics, clearly tells us what Hindu meditators, Indian meditators knew thousands of years ago. We're all the same. We're all interconnected. We are all particles. Quantum physics clearly shows we are all, and what we mostly are, we are mostly space. We're 99.999% space in between the particles that we are. Yet we create this separate self and this desire to be happy, this desire not to suffer, it becomes coagulated around someone else's opinion of us. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> we think that someone else's opinion of us is going to make us happy. And it does. It does. 
in some very brief way. Someone praises you, approves of you, likes you, and you have a little swelling of glory. A group embraces you, thinks you're great, gives you power, gives you fame. A brief swelling of glory. Success in the opinion of others, the eyes of others. A billionaire's success is having 10 billion. So there's never enough for this cold-hearted, competitive, measuring ego, and it's desperately afraid. It's, it's based on hope and fear, hope to be liked, hope to have a reputation, hope for success, hope for pleasure, comfort, money, and, great, and fear of the opposite of being criticized, blamed, disliked, excluded, disempowered, um, failure, and on and on. So, um, shall we meditate and do a little guided around around these concepts, these ideas, to get a feeling, maybe a feeling for equanimity. So if you would, um, if you like, uh, gently close your eyes, sit up in a kind of an alert, but comfortable, relaxed posture, and relax your heart. Relax your mind, relax your back, relax your front. Deeply relax into space. You are space inside. And you can mingle with space outside a little bit in front of you, to your right, to your left, above you, below you, relaxing, just relaxing into the ocean, the sky of being, just beingness. And now bring to mind someone you love. someone you're connected to who you know very well. You know her situation. You know she has ups and downs. I'm going to use she. Could be he, of course. She has joys and sorrows. You can see that in her life. Success, praise, inclusion, esteem, 
pleasure, gain, make her happy. Loss, criticism, judgment, being bypassed, being excluded, make her unhappy. You can see this, the ups and downs, the joys and sorrows of her life. And you know, this is the law. This is the law for her. It's the law for all human beings. It's been this way for human beings for thousands of years, not just now, not just for her. She's subject to the ups and downs like waves, waves in an ocean. Don't know exactly what's going to hit her next, what she'll encounter. You could even turn to a particular situation for her that's challenging. And you wish her well. You want, you want her to be happy. You love her. You want her to not suffer. You have compassion for her. You love her to have joy a joy that just knows no sorrow. But as much as you wish her all of these things, there's not that much you can do about it. It's her journey. She is responsible for her happiness and her unhappiness. With the patience, forbearance of equanimity, we see these things. We see that she, this is the way it is for her. This is her journey. We wish for her to be liberated, but there's not that much we can do about it. Now turning to your own heart, how are you with this? Is it disturbing, agitating? Does it make you sad, disappointed? May I have ease and equanimity with my own heart and staying with this, resting with this strengthens equanimity. Acknowledging this wisdom, this is the law 
strengthens wisdom, staying with. Patience, forbearance, wisdom, the freedom of equanimity. And turning toward yourself now. Maybe bringing up something that's a situation that's difficult for you. If it helps, if it has to do with the opinion of someone else or a group or a loss. or a failure, bring it to mind, bring the the face of a person to mind, and feel it in the body. This is your ground. Feeling it in the body and letting letting it become stronger, more poignant in the body. And notice how the ego coagulates around this feeling and gets stuck to it. And we become like ice inside, frozen. Let yourself become ice with this sadness, anger, fear, jealousy. Anxiety. Acknowledge this is hard. But you also know that if we stay long enough with this, freedom happens. It's the only way. Stay with equanimity. Give up the desire to be perfect. Give up the desire, the judgments, the self-judgments, the self-criticisms. And incline your heart toward just Trusting presence, trusting equanimity. And relax and allow more space, more kindness to enter. more love to enter, more compassion to enter. And rest in a vast and peaceful space. Allow the ice to melt 
into the ocean. The ocean's much, much bigger. Discover love and presence in this broad, warm ocean of equanimity. This is what gives life meaning. This is what's precious. This is our home. A poem, reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you already are. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as body, just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. A great uh, Tibetan teacher who had thousands of disciples. Maybe the most famous Tibetan teacher. Um, his final words were Do not leave your ground. Do not disturb the minds of others. Do not leave your ground. Do not disturb the simple. The ground is the body. And what we pay attention to, we become. You could... Pay attention to this equanimity. I don't know how you can do it. When I, when I wake up in the morning, I vow I will be equanimous today. And throughout the day, I check. Is equanimity here? Is presence here? Is openness here? Is the freedom the ease of an open heart. And I have the freedom and ease of an open heart today. 
may, may I, may you all awaken to your true nature, which is an inexhaustible source of love, compassion, and wisdom. So I'd like to break up into, so we, um, time. Um, I went a little bit longer, so let's, I think we'll make groups of two. Uh, uh, so, so you can get a lot of talking in, in the short period of time that we have left, maybe 15 minutes. Um, and the questions I was thinking about are, um, three questions, if you can remember these. Uh, one is, how have you changed in terms of equanimity? Have you grown looking back on your life? Do you have more equanimity now than you used to have? And what did you leave behind? Or how did you do that? How did you, how did you develop your equanimity? Did it just happen or was, was there something that you, you worked on? And you might want to just talk about, if you'd like, what is this, what is equanimity? What is equanimity to you? If you have extra time, what does it feel like to you? What is equanimity? Okay. So Chris will break you up into uh, dyads. You may be, maybe somebody will be in a group of three to make it balanced. Okay. Any, any questions about the questions? How you developed your equanimity over the years, how you've changed, what have you left behind? How did you do that? What 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 qualities have you developed that allowed you to become more equanimous? Okay. I think we're all back. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, let's see. There we go. Yes. Hello. Welcome back. Well, how have you grown? What's been happening over the last, this life of yours? And have you grown in equanimity and how did you do it? Um, and anything, anything you'd like to hear? I'd love to hear. Uh, if you're not speaking though, by the way, could you uh, mute yourself so there don't have these echoings? Hi, Morgan. So, yeah, if you have uh, something you can share with us, it would uh, it will be amazingly helpful to us to get your wisdom. So, please. I have something to share with you. Good. Uh, Laura, my, uh, thank you so much, David. I took notes. I get so much out of it. And um, I really appreciate being in that breakout room. Look, oh, there you are, Ubalda. Yeah, I have a question also. You, if I, I may have misunderstood you, I don't really need an answer, or maybe, yeah. I, you talked about, you know, the space and the cracks, the, the uh, where are my notes? 
the particles, you know, that we're mostly just these particles. And then I thought I understood, I might not be, but these cracks. Anyway, it doesn't matter if I understand or not, you know, but the change for me, the change, and that's what I'm curious about, is um, you said where we put our attention is what we become. So I had a kind of a miracle happen. I don't know how it happened. That's what I'm asking about because uh, I'll just say that in my situation, uh, 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 my husband's daughter, she ne- none of us ever received what we deserved to receive growing up. She didn't, I didn't, nobody did. So right now I'm the object of her um, acting out or hatred. And the, what I'm doing is I'm just sending her loving kindness. And when the thought comes in and sending it to myself. But then this thing about where we put our attention is, I'm just focusing on the love, on having a loving marriage with my husband and being so grateful and appreciative. That's really happened. That has happened. I'm, that is a miracle. And that was my question about, I've done a lot of work in these years. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious about how that is to me is the source or God or whatever you want to call it. How does that really happen? That, that's what I want to know. I, this is my fifth marriage. And it's the first time that I feel like I'm healing in my life. I truly love my husband and I appreciate him. That is not how I roll. And, and so, but that is happening. And I really have compassion over, I have so much grief over all the things that my family could not give to me that I could be loved and valued and cherished as my true self. And neither can his daughter. So I want to know about that shift. That's what I'm curious about. Yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, the law of equanimity is that we are the heir. We're the heir to our own actions. So you're the heir to your, you know, you're, you're practicing this love and kindness, generosity. You're practicing this. You're, you're, this is in you, and, and you're seeing it, and you're developing it, and sustaining it. You know, you're strengthening it, and you're the heir to your own actions. Yeah. You're doing it. That's great. I'm so happy. Yeah. Someone else, please. I can say something. Um, For me and my life to have come across the teaching on not self was one of the most, um, the most life changing um, for me. Mm. Uh, For a very long time, uh, I was just saying that to to Megan. Um, For a long time, that was my anchor. 
uh, in daily life mostly because the meditation is kind of a, um, I had less of a reactivity um, problem. Um, but in my daily life, uh, and um, for the longest time, you know, I practiced not self. And uh, it doesn't solve all the problems of reactivity, but it took care of so much. Um, mm -hmm so much. I guess I had a big self. I don't know. Myself was picking up a lot of space, but, uh, uh, and the openness that that brings, um, you know, and the self had a lot of fear. I mean, I'm talking more, you know, uh, safety, anxiety, and fear around, um, you know, being seen or not seen or being able to get forward in life. And, you know, I was so, you know, I was open to whatever the outcome was of not having a self and just not, not believing in that having that self or doing the me thing was going to bring me anything better. And, and uh, it, was, it was amazing for me. It was easy for me to practice that. It was, uh, it was uh, immediate and... Um, it's kind of, you know, for a while, it was something that I did uh, sort of, um, uh, I had to remind myself and do it. Now it's just automatic. I almost don't, you know, it's like a, it's like a fraction. It's just, you know, oh, not self, you know, and, and poof, you know, it's just a shift. Oh, that's, that's so beautiful. It's wonderful to hear. Yeah. So this is your path. No. Laura's path was her love, and your path is this no self, and, and it's it's wonderful. Um, the the development of this path in yourself, the tranquility and the ease and the equanimity, you can see the way, you know, out of you know the world of self is such a dog eat dog world. You know, it's there's there's no win. You know, we're we're climbing on the backs of others and. They don't want to be climbed on top of, so we are easily, we're often, we're offended most of the time because we, we often don't get what we want from them because they want the same thing themselves in that, in that dog-eat-dog -dog realm. So just to abandon the realm completely is like, I'm not going to play here, and I'm going to play in what's real, what's true. That yeah. you are particles, you are space, there is no self, and this is true, this is real. And this is where I'm going to abide. This is where I'm going to put my awareness. Great. So happy to hear this emptiness. Someone else? I'm Chris. Christine. Yeah. I, I, um, I very much am loving everything I'm hearing today. Uh, when I thought about how I reach this stage in equanimity that I have, which allows me to face things like this recent move I found out I had to make again, um, without, without drama, you know, without victimhood, uh, I found that when I trace it back, it really comes from a long-term development of a network of friends that I 
I could feel safe with. And wow. I could, when I felt safe, I, I could expose some of the parts of myself that I was ashamed of. And as that happened, I, I developed trust in them. And so the fear that I lived with before I developed these friendships kind of fell away and got me through some very hard times. Uh, and then when I, when, once the fear left, I found that I could feel my inner compass for seeking another place, another place that was higher, that was even more comforting and more connecting. And that led me to meditation and the meditation center and Gil and starting meditations with Stan and Michael. And, um, and it's just keeps, it just keeps going. You know, I, I think Chris, I think maybe it was you that said, once you get on it, you just, it's like sliding downhill, you know, like there's a momentum to it. Oh, and the river keeps, it just takes you. You know, you don't have to really strong arm, now I'm going to meditate or now I'm going to look for a teacher. Things just seem to show up that reinforce whatever I'm experiencing as uh, a comfort. So I thank you for letting me think about that today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so your your path started out with friends, you know, just feeling you're not alone, that you're connected with other people. And that's such a great support, too, that, we're, that we are interconnected just through friendships. And then that can lead, led you to, as you said, going high. Like, like uh, Michelle Obama, I started going high and not go low. Yeah. I think my time, the time is up for this, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, but it's great. You know, we have we have this extra piece of time at the end that we can use however we want. So don't worry about it. But it's getting time. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for sharing um, your little Dharma talks. These are three little Dharma talks that I think helped everyone. Yeah. Beautiful. So the lovely Jennifer is going to uh, be presenting now. Hello, everyone. I want to test out the, the volume. Can you all hear me? Is it uh, loud enough? Thumbs up. <clears throat> so there's so many. As I was... This past month, as I was looking at equanimity and reflecting on it, you know, there's so many facets to equanimity. And I'm going to focus on one very specific component of equanimity. And it is acceptance. So just notice in your body how you feel right now, hearing that word, acceptance. Some people have a warm relationship with acceptance. And some people uh, feel constrained by it. 
Um, and so I'm going to put a word in front of the word acceptance, and I'm going to say wise acceptance, just like in the Eightfold Path. There's wise intention. We can have intentions for a lot of things, but the wise intention, and in this case, the wise acceptance. Um, Tara Brock, in her book, uh, Call, she calls it radical acceptance. And if you haven't read that book, it's, it's lovely. Um, so what is this word acceptance? Um, because we've all heard this, right? So acceptance of the way things are in this moment right as we're sitting here, feeling our breath, feeling the support of the chair, accepting the way that things are in this moment, accepting the reality of the situation in this moment. It's also this, um, I've been feeling into this, it's a, it's a receptive quality receiving this moment just as it is receiving the quality of my mind just as it is you know moody mind restless mind calm mind kind of the worldly winds you know so what is the truth of the moment right now and it's this um this attitude of acceptance, holding kind of this greater attitude of acceptance of the way things are. And so, and this relates to, um, when I think of this word acceptance, I think of the Buddha's teaching about the Four Noble Truths. And um, for me, it's just one of these mantras that <laughs> you know, just paraphrasing what the suttas say is, you know, the Buddha essentially said over and over again, it is really not skillful to chase after all those things that I think are going to bring me pleasure and pleasant experiences and to try to avoid and reject and dodge unpleasant experiences, you know, in a, in a very rational way. Um, because both of these come and go. So the clinging and the aversion is the extra suffering that comes with it. And this is where acceptance is so powerful. Accepting what's happening right now in this moment. And so how does acceptance relate to equanimity? So I would say wise acceptance and you may have heard this term before, creates the conditions for equanimity to arise. So this is how equanimity and acceptance, it's really um, and a very important component of equanimity is this acceptance. So peace and serenity arise when we stop struggling, clinging, resisting the way it is. And again, just for this moment, 
everything changes. So I know there's the protest of, well, if I accept myself the way I am, then that's complacent. And um, what we're saying is this, whatever has arisen in this moment is already arisen. So the acceptance that it has, it's, it's present. Let's just say I have a, I have a, um, yeah, restless mind. Well, it's present. So there we are. So just for this moment, okay, restless mind, it's like this. And I, I understand that Deepa Ma, this wonderful um, Vipassana teacher, she, she used to tell her students, no matter what they came to her with, she would be very kind of grandmotherly and say, it's okay. It's okay, honey. You know, and whenever I think about it, it just makes my whole body relax. It's okay. What's happening in the world right now, just for this moment, the acceptance, it is the way it is in this moment. And we're all doing the best we can. Everybody, I believe, that's my belief. And this piece that Carl Rogers said, uh, a famous psychologist, um, something, uh, paraphrasing again, but I really like this. He said, you know, this paradox is that the moment we accept ourselves the way we are, accept others the way they are, that things can change. So the moment I know, so I'll give a, a really extreme example, since I'm in recovery, the moment I could accept that, wow, I'm obviously, this was many years ago, I'm obviously not able to handle my liquor. I'm, you know, drinking too much wine and this is a problem. That's acceptance of the way things are. And the minute that acceptance came in, the change could flow. So, I'm not telling anyone something that you don't already know. We all have felt this in some way in our life. But we can't force acceptance to arise, just like we can't force equanimity. You know, that um, Comcast movies on demand, you know, we can't have like acceptance on demand. I know I've tried that um, or equanimity on demand, um, but we can create the conditions for that, for these qualities to arise. And um, our practice is to lovingly, gently create these conditions. And I love this, um, this metaphor that Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein mentioned in their Seeking the Heart of Wisdom book. They, they talk about weeding and watering as this way of creating conditions, right? So if you're trying to grow a garden, you know, plants in the garden, you weed and, and you water and you make sure the plants have sun and over here in San Mateo, we have to make sure that the plants are in a place where there's the wind is, they're protected from the wind. So we weed and we water and we create the conditions for acceptance 
to arise. So I want to tell a story. It's not my story. It's a story in this acceptance book. And I, I want um, to tell this story because I'm, I'm hoping we can all have this feeling in our body um, by connecting with the story of, of what acceptance feels like right now here. So this is a, a story um, but in Tara Brock's book. And I tell you, I, I love her even more after reading this book because she's being very vulnerable. So here's how the story goes. I returned home from my first six-week Vipassana retreat feeling happy, balanced, and relaxed, right? So you hear a sense of equanimity there after six weeks of, of her retreat. Narayan's dad, so her son is Narayan, and her dad is Alex. So Narayan's dad, Alex, had stayed at the house to take care of our son, and I was excited to see both of them. We spent the evening eating popcorn, chatting, and catching up. The next morning, I walked into my home office and found sitting on my desk the envelope with the mortgage payment I'd left for Alex to mail while I was away. Now it was late, and I'd be charged a fine. I called Alex up on the phone and started yelling at him about how I hadn't made any money for the last month and how I couldn't count on him not even to mail a letter. He let me go on a bit before saying, so this is what you learn at these Buddhist retreats. So I love this story because we've all been there in some way, shape or form. Later on in the paragraph, she says, Alex's response, like the bells ringing at our meditation retreat, was a clear wake-up call. I was being called back to radical acceptance. Back to meeting my rising feelings with mindfulness and care. So this is the wise acceptance of... Uh, Regret, suffering over an action. And I want to say that um, in the next paragraph, she talks about calling up Alex and apologizing. So this is a point I want to make about acceptance, equanimity, is that it's not a black and white experience. You know, I mean, sometimes there's this flash and kind of insight of acceptance. But this also is similar to our mindfulness. It's little drop by drop by drop. The acceptance accumulates over time. So this is a practice. Related to this, I have to tell the story about myself. Um, so I was 
on the phone with someone who is very difficult for me. I knew that going into the call. And because I was practicing with this acceptance and equanimity, I talked to myself first before I got on the phone. And this is what I said to myself. And this is, uh, I actually was reading something, which I'm going to read to you. And it's by Tan Jeff. And it's about karma. First, remember that when you look at people, you can't see all the karmic seeds from their past actions. That may be experiencing the results of past bad actions. Sorry, they may be experiencing the results of past bad actions, but you don't know when those seeds will stop sprouting. Also, you have no idea what other seeds, whatever wonderful latent potentials will sprout in their place. So this made me so happy. I read this before I got on the phone. So I could see this person with new eyes. So I could accept whoever they were on the phone with me as just as they are given their karmic conditioning. And also accepting myself for all my karmic conditioning. And this is where the compassion flows. And in this book by Jack and, and Joseph, they talk about how equanimity is paired with compassion because it balances compassion. So I had what I felt in any case was a balanced compassion for myself in the difficulty of the conversation and for the other person. And I even noticed during the call that my level of acceptance and compassion would wax and wane. And so I just invite you all um, as you move through your week and, and the next month in this way to see if, if there's in some way that this practice is helpful for you. So I want to uh, tell one more story to have a sense of, of this equanimity, acceptance of the way things are. And I want to read this story um, because it has some humor in it. And I want to, you know, remind myself and um, all of us here on this call that some of these topics don't have to be so serious. I have to remind myself that all the time. Um, that acceptance of the way things are can also be you know, comical. So this is Ajahn Brahm. And by the way, um, the name of his book is Who Ordered This Truckload of Dung? And dung in English is poop. <laughs> so he's, kind of, he's, he's a very funny kind of guy. So here's the story. I was standing in one of the six queues at the immigration barrier at Perth Airport, this is in Australia, returning from a wonderful trip to Sri Lanka via Singapore. 
The cues were moving slowly. They were obviously doing a thorough check. A customs officer emerged from a side door in the lobby, leading a small sniffer dog trained to detect drugs. The incoming travelers smiled nervously as the customs officer led the sniffer dogs up and down each line. Even though they were not carrying any drugs, you could detect a release of tension after the dogs sniffed them and moved away to someone else. When the cute little dog reached me and sniffed, it stopped. It buried its little muzzle in my robe at the waist and wagged its tail in rapid, wide arcs. The customs officer had to yank at the leash to pull the dog away. The passenger in line ahead of me, who had been quite friendly before, now moved a step further away from me. I was sure that the couple behind had moved a step back. After five minutes, I was much closer to the counter when they brought the sniffer dog around again. Up and down the line, the dog went, giving each traveler a little sniff and then moving on. When it came to me, it stopped again. Its head went in put into my robe and its tail went crazy. Again, the customs officer had to forcefully pull the dog away. I felt all eyes on me now. Even though many people might become a little worried at this point, I was completely relaxed. There's the beauty of equanimity in this trained monk. If I went to jail, well, I had a lot of friends than jail. And besides, they feed you much better than they do in a monastery. When I reached the customs check, they gave me a thorough search. I had no drugs. Monks don't even take alcohol. They didn't strip search me. I thought this was because I showed no fear. All they did was ask me why I thought the sniffer dog had stopped only at me. I said that monks have great compassion for animals and maybe that was what the dog sniffed. Or maybe, I said, the dog had been a monk in one of his previous lives. They let me go after I said that. So I love this story. And it just reminds me that acceptance and equanimity can also be supported by, as I said earlier, created the conditions for Humor can create conditions for equanimity to arise, for acceptance to arise. So I want to end with a few phrases so we can feel in our body the cultivation of acceptance. Just like we can cultivate metta by repeating phrases, we can also cultivate acceptance. So closing the eyes for just one moment. 
Taking a deep breath. May you accept yourself just as you are in this moment. May you accept your thoughts, feelings, moods, attitudes, emotions, just as they are in this moment, in this very breath. May you accept others just as they are. May you accept all of life just as it is in this moment. May you find balance and evenness of mind and heart in the midst of all the worldly winds of our time. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Thank you for your kind attention. So I'm looking at the time. What do you think about taking a five minute break now? Yeah. And then come back and do the breakout what do you think about that? Sure. Yeah, I think that sounds fine. Let's do it. Okay, it looks like we have 18 people, which I think is about the, about the same we had before. I'll wait another minute. Hey, Jennifer. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the last thing that you said, those quotes, I'd love to get a copy of that or know where. That, where, where is that? How can I do that? I'll send it to you. I'll, I'll send it to you, Laura. Yeah, the, the phrases that I said at the yeah, end. Those are beautiful. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. 
Jennifer, this is Michael. I love Ajahn Brahm, and I'm so grateful you shared that story. Hi, Michael. Yes, we're both fans, right? Lots of fun. <laughs> He is a true Dharma treasure, and he's pretty niche, and you have to be blessed by the angels to hang out with him because he's not that easy to study with, but I had the pleasure. Thank you, Deep Bows. You're welcome. All these people are being grateful. I just wanted to say I've been so grateful to have this series and wanted to thank you for you know the wonderful way you organized it. I've been doing it online. And I just loved studying what you sent and knowing that there was a Sangha and everyone was, you know, working on the same quality at the same time. So, Deepa. Jennifer, follow-up question. Who was the quote from or where was it from when you said, when you look at someone, you can't see their past karmic seeds? Yes, that's Tom Jeff. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, he has a, he has a, uh, it's actually the name of it is, um, I think it's heart and head. Yes, heart and head and heart together. Um, bringing wisdom to the Brahma Viharas by Tandasaro Bhikkhu Tanjeff. And um, it's in uh, Access to Insight. Let me see. Actually, what I could do is I can see if I can paste it into the chat. It's, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, there it is. Okay, so let's see. I'm... Uh, Chris, what do you think about time? Should we do a breakout or should we just stay in the larger group? Can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Okay, something went wrong with my mic. I, I, I kept, I was, I, it looks like we have uh, three. I had it set up for three each in rooms if you want to do that. Perfect. Okay. So the questions are, How does acceptance of the way things are help you to be equanimous? And what's on a more broad question, what's your experience of wise acceptance? And then what other understandings, any other understandings or any other right views, what other right views have helped you with equanimity and acceptance? Okay, it looks like everybody is back. So I would be very interested in hearing any comments that any one of you have about acceptance, about 
your experience of acceptance or any other comments you have about the talk or questions or protests as they say so it's always very helpful to hear what people say because some other person might think that their question isn't pertinent and then they hear someone else ask and it's wonderful. So anything some people want to share? In our group, in our group, we talked about how developing external acceptance was a little easier than acceptance for ourselves. And, um, reminding ourselves that our body is a wonderful teacher, like two teachers we discussed and one was our body that how each day can be a little different and being there and accepting, Oh, this is really hurting today. And there's no apparent reason why, but I'll be here for you pain as uh, we do this today. And the other teacher was um, gardening and how we can have these expectations that, uh, Oh, we planted all these things but then accepting, okay, well, this is what the plants are doing now. And I know in my own garden, um, I planted corn, squash, and beans in some of the, in sunflowers. And I can see one of the corns just decided to start germinating now. And the other guys are still like, probably have another four weeks. So that's happening. <laughs> so hopefully I can get some corn out of that one. I love this the comment that your group's, discussed and you know we hear this a lot our own self-acceptance is sometimes not always more challenging um, than it is for us to accept others so that is you know um, actually you reminded me there is this kind of um, phrase like an acceptance phrase that says you know Ah, may I be willing to accept my non-acceptance of myself, right? So it's like a step before, you know, just to say, this is where I am. I'm just not able to accept what's happening for me right now. They have that same piece for forgiveness as well. And also the reminder um, that uh, Sylvia Borstein said, you know, the heart sometimes has its own timing, so accepting wherever we are in the moment, um, the heart and the body, the spirit, they have their own timing. Sometimes it's different from our own timing. So, so thank you. And I also have a garden. Uh, <laughs> the tomatoes aren't doing as well, <laughs> some of them. Uh, so yes, creating conditions and let going, letting go of the outcome. Uh -huh. Michael. Who else would like to share? Did you uh, unmute yourself, Michael? Did you want to share? Oh, my goodness. Am I unmuted? Yes. <laughs> you are oh, now. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, I think for me, remembering things are temporary always lead me to greater, greater levels of acceptance and acknowledging how things are going to arise and pass. And... Um, I don't know. I just thought the breakout was really delightful and, and, um, yeah, how there's many teachers. <laughs> Thank you. Deep bows. Yes. 
Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, in the uh, group, which was also incredibly beautiful, um, I, uh, for me, was the uh, creating conditions and <clears throat> accepting the outcome. It has a lot, and my practice has a lot to do with looking at my hindrances and understanding what triggers them in how I behave towards the uh, acceptance of the hindrances and the uh, feeling feelings of my body, how my body reacts, how all those chemicals react to to the to the reactivity that comes with the hindrances, and just looking at them and looking at what's surrounding me, what my environment is, and just calming myself down while I watch myself, you know, see my patients fading away, not my patients, yeah, fading away and the aversion rising. Um, and it wasn't uh, during the uh, patient's uh, month that I had the experience that really just opened up my heart in so many ways. I was at a pharmacy, if I have enough time to tell you this short story, waiting for right before the um, shelter in place happened, like a week before getting a flu shot. And they couldn't find my record. They couldn't accept, the insurance wouldn't accept it. So they kept trying and trying and trying. And I was waiting for about 45 minutes. After that, I could feel my patience just fading away. It just really going far away from me and the aversion rising. And I remember that it was the month to practice patience. And I opened my phone and I opened up the, uh, the PDF that you guys sent and I started reading it. And when I read the paragraph, what it says, that when you lose your patience, your compassion begins to fade away. I was like, oh my God, I have to bring this back up and get those hindrances to just stay down below, you know, and bring the, the compassion up. And so it was just amazing because my body felt it. And it was this chemistry that happened. It's a shift. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And so I sat there and I just read. And eventually the pharmacist comes out and she says, thank you so much for being so patient. <laughs> and like, she just knew what was going on in this mind of mine. <laughs> and I'm like, and I said, you know what? I... Thank you for saying that, but it, it took a lot of effort. He said, I can tell you that. And she was Hindustani, and she had a practice, she practiced meditation too. And she says, you know, when I was pregnant, I had to meditate all the time because I was so stressed out. And it was amazing how much, you know, compassion brought to, towards myself when I did that. And I said, well, that's exactly what was happening with me. And I said, you just knew what my mind was doing. But fortunately... I have the right teachers. I have, you know, the, the material and I have the support to just get back and, and really connect and practice what, you know, this is all about. And uh, I really wanted to share that experience with you guys because that was one of the most powerful um, uh, teachings that I experienced physically and mentally and emotionally. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. No, thank you so much for that. Um, I there are so many pieces in that um, story that are 
are the teachings, you know, so one is that acceptance of your impatience, right? That's how you were able to see like, oh my goodness, I'm becoming impatient. So like, all right. And um, the other thing I love that you've mentioned is you're bringing in this compassion because um, Sylvia Borstein, who is, uh, many of you know, she's a teacher at Spirit Rock. Um, she was doing a teacher training and she told um, the students in this teacher training, training to be teachers, she said, just assume any question that a student asks you that the answer is compassion. She says, just assume it. And of course, you'll give some technical response. But I love what you said, because that whole piece about, oh, my goodness, impatience arose, my compassion is, is receding. And then, like, then you caught yourself, then you rebalanced, right? You rebalanced. So, so I love this. Um, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And I do think, uh, Chris, it's probably time to have you share your piece. Okay. So All thank right. you so much. Yeah. Well, Ubala's comment was a perfect segue to what I want to do, which is to acknowledge that this is our last meeting. We've been doing this since last September, most of us, most of the group that's here has been with us all year. There are a few people who joined midway and toward the end. So I thought what I would like to do is look, at, look back at all of these 10 beautiful qualities of heart and mind that we've spent our year with and really understanding that all of them are the great supports and conditions for equanimity. You know, equanimity is last in, in all the three lists that it occurs in, the last factor of enlightenment, the last parami, the last of the Brahma Viharas, because it's a fruit that needs a lot of support from a lot of other qualities. So just looking back, if you can cast your mind back to the what, what, what it was like for you to work with each one of these qualities. I'll just bring up a little bit about, and I also find, you know, these are just great allies. When you're finding yourself suffering or not equanimous or caught up in something, it's usually one of these 10 qualities, just bringing them to mind, as Ubalda mentioned about patience, just bringing it to mind. It's almost like a magic word. Sometimes it just, oh, that's what's missing here. And then you know what you can what you can work with. And sometimes it's it just brings to mind the fact that that quality is not here and it's what's needed. So so let's look back at these. So we started in September with generosity. Generosity. So Ajahn Suchito says. You know, in our culture, sometimes our sense of what we belong to ends at the edge of our skin, which is one reason why people in the developed countries get to feel so alienated and anxious. We've developed the self-view, you're on your own, compete and keep it for yourself. But we've lost a lot of the sense of being part of something meaningful and sacred, right? So generosity, just bringing to mind, when there's that, you know, is something being held back or denied or clung to in some kind of zero-sum notion of happiness? Maybe you can recall 
the feeling of sharing, you know, what can be shared here? If not materially, then maybe just a recognition of common humanity. How can we cultivate this sense of serving a relationship to something that's larger than ourselves, to, to others or to life itself? Sometimes we need to offer some more generosity to ourselves, a more generous view of our underlying worth or goodness, lovability. Sometimes it's helpful to recall all the people who've been generous to us. So any way that you can be generous, you can be generous about interpreting other people's motives. You know, maybe you're imputing stupidity to some clerk who isn't moving as fast as you would like and you know impute a, try a little generosity toward them maybe they're doing their best so you know in what way would generosity help this moment and then the next factor that we looked at was morality virtue sila in pali the sense of non-harming non-cruelty, non-greed. Non so maybe in a moment of feeling out of balance or not equanimous, maybe we've lost perspective on our deepest sense of integrity. What really matters to us about how, how the world should be and understanding that it can start with us in how we are in the world in this sense of non, this intention toward goodwill We've maybe, can we get the perspective of we? As Ajahn Suchito talks about morality as the we sense. You know, and these days we're especially being reminded to continually work to expand our sense of who is we. You know, the Buddha often speaks of all sentient beings. May all sentient beings be free from suffering. So in the broadest possible sense, or maybe just in the local sense, where's the we here? So that, so that we, we can align ourselves with this. Or if that sense of morality isn't lost, but maybe we're all upset because things we don't consider in alignment with that is happening around us, maybe we can find some refuge in knowing that we are aligned with our own deepest sense of morality and that we are putting into the situation the best that can be put into it in the moment. And then that can bring up equanimity with what else is going on. But there's, there can be a deep sense of refuge in that alignment with our own integrity. So generosity and morality. And the third parami that we looked at was renunciation, this big word for letting go where we really start to look at craving, you know, that second noble truth of what, what is this, what is this that's underlying, this clinging that's underlying most forms of suffering, starting to work directly with that. Ajahn Suchito says, renunciation is a matter of wise discernment rather than asceticism or being puritanical. To put it simply, Renunciation means discerning what one actually needs at any given time within the range of wants and desirables, and then following on from that. You could call it simplification. 
you know, so it's a path to realizing truly what we need, simplifying, asking yourself, what am I clinging to here? Or maybe, what am I clinging to this for? What am I really trying to get here? What do I really think I need? What do I really need? Just beginning to realize that it's not a route to starvation, renunciation. It's a route to simplification. The beauty of simplifying, focusing, concentrating on what we really need and letting go of all the ways that our minds and hearts are distracted and fragmented. So it's very much supportive. It's, it is equanimity because equanimity is very much this balanced state of mind that isn't going out to grab at something that it needs. It isn't fragmenting itself and placing its well-being out on something else that you either have to stop or you have to get. So it's the centered, balanced, even state of mind that knows what's, what's really important and is able to let go of the rest and become even more unified and whole and coherent internally. So generosity, morality, renunciation. And then for the fourth parami, we looked at wisdom. Ajahn Suchito calls that innate clarity. So one way I like to look at it is, am I in touch with my most mature perspective here in this moment? Can I summon that? I'm so often fragmented and and somewhat coming from a less mature point of view, a narrowing of my mind, of focusing on some aspect of a situation that's triggered some pattern of reactivity in me. Just backing up and opening up to what is what is my overall, my best Dharma understanding, my best adult understanding, looking at all the factors of conditions that go into making a particular situation, having some humility around what do I, what can I possibly understand or think that I'm in charge of in this situation that is really unrealistic. You could ask, am I taking something to be some kind of solid lasting thing, some abstraction, some view, am I attached to that? When surely it's not like that from the perspective of, from any other perspective, because something else is happening. So obviously there's more perspectives than mine at play here. So how can I, how can I open up and see that? Am I taking something personally? Am I taking it to be about me or, or to mean something about me? I was reminded, I've been listening to this series that Joseph Goldstein is giving um, on, on the web, and I was reminded of a teaching of his that's always been tremendously helpful to me. And that's to say to yourself what's happening using a little bit of the passive voice. So instead of I'm, I'm hearing this, I'm seeing this, this is being seen. This is being known. Right now, sensations are being known. What's happening is being experienced. You know, it takes the self out of it. One of you spoke very movingly about 
the importance of what no self has meant to you in this practice. And that's a way to tune into that. You know, you're not making awareness happen. You're not making hearing happen. If you have ears, you're going to hear. If your auditory cortex and your ears are working, you will hear. So hearing, hearing is things are being heard. And to me, it just t- tunes into that spacious, less personal quality of experience. And, and sometimes it just releases something for me. And fundamentally, we must be somehow, if we're suffering in this moment, we must be believing that it's worth it somehow, you know, that this, this is an exception. Suffering is worth it here. Because what are we believing that it's worth stressing out about? So you can just just tune into some of these aspects of wisdom. Just bringing the word to mind. Wisdom. Oh, wisdom is what I care about. That's what I've decided to dedicate my life to is cultivating wisdom. And why is this moment somehow an exception to that? So, you know, you can bring that to mind. And then the fifth parami that we looked at is energy. Ajahn Suchito's chapter is called Stewarding Our Resources. What are we spending our energy on? And I want to take this moment today in the context of looking at how these things support equanimity to really talk about a little bit about getting in touch with the energy of our bodies in the moment learning to be sensitive to what, how open and in touch and grounded are we. David had this wonderful quote about the primary instruction is don't lose your ground. The ground is through the body. The ground is through the open, flowing, intercommunication in a centered way between the understanding, the heart, the energy of the body, the ground, the sense of being supported by the earth, the sense of being held by the air, being one with the air. So what do we learn? What have you learned so far? It's an ongoing exploration, becoming more sensitive to opening to different parts of our body and finding this sense of ground in our feet on the ground, the sensation of embodying our legs and feet. Uh, Many teachings talk about equanimity as actually living in the belly, you know, the love in the heart, the understanding in the mind, the courage, the strength, the equanimity, the solidity of the, the Japanese talk about the hara, you know, in the belly, that we need space to hold what's happening. And the space to hold what's happening and to let it flow through us is in, is in an open awareness of our own body. So often we can, we can check into, you know, when I'm caught up in something, I'm out of touch with my body. And I'm really developing ways that work for me to notice and remember and come back and check in to my embodiment in this moment. And that definitely promotes equanimity. And we can look at the balance of energy. Do I need to relax or arouse energy? Sometimes it's enough to just realize, oh, this is a kind of energetic imbalance. And I'm overwired. I'm excited. How can I breathe or move or ground myself? Sometimes literally getting down on my hands and knees, doing a, some kind of simple yoga move or something is very grounding. Or you might feel dull or sluggish or weak or depressed. 
Sometimes you need to acknowledge that something's weighing on your heart. You've lost, you've lost heart. You know, putting your hand on your heart, bringing some warmth and energy to your heart center. Maybe there's a way to breathe or just float with it a while, recognizing it as a low energy state. See what, see what lightens up. See if you can bring warmth and liveliness, light to different parts of your body. So learning to work with energy is a great support for, for this instrument of our experiencing that can come into a balance that is equanimity, where all of our faculties are in balance and centered and nothing is blocked off or shut off. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's a beautiful quality. So generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, energy. And then we come to patience. Patience is a favorite parami of many of us because it's so often what's needed. This quality of bearing with what's happening, of acknowledging. It's part of wisdom also to acknowledge that difficult, unpleasant stuff is part of life. And we're being asked to just bear, bear our share of it, bear with the difficulty. Bringing out this sense of compassion that was mentioned earlier, how that follows patience, compassion and fellow feeling. Like, yes, I'm, share, I'm bearing my share of the way life is right now in this moment with some grace and some, some uh, I don't know, not expecting that it should be somehow different for me, that yes, this is the way it is. And we can notice when patience isn't there, there's some straining and forcing that's going on. So you might tune in, in this moment, am I trying to make something happen or push, push the river, as one of my teachers would say. In the same series with Joseph that I was listening to the other day, he talked about just noticing during the day, it was his answer to somebody's question about how can I be mindful during the day. And he said what was most helpful to him was to notice when you're rushing. And this is not the same thing as moving fast. We often have to move fast in our jobs and our kids and our lives. But rushing is his word for when you're kind of out ahead of what's actually possible. So you've become out of alignment and your, your, your energy body has left your physical body and it's trying to move faster than it's possible to move. Right? So there's a strain in it. So just being aware of that as often as you can during the day while you're doing your work and then just seeing if you can, it's part of patience to me, seeing if you can just relax back. Let me just settle back. You can move fast in alignment. You can probably move faster because you're not wasting energy trying to make things happen faster than possible. So just tuning in, it's a combination of the awareness of the energy and awareness of the impatient intention to force things. And then falling back into, yes, I would like it to move faster or be different, but it just isn't right now. And that's how the, this is how it is, this acceptance. And that brings us to the seventh parami, which is the parami of truth. What uh, Ajahn Suchito calls the fullness of truth. 
which is beyond one's individual point of view or way beyond one's concept and words of what's going on. But the just the acknowledgement of everything that's gone into this moment and all the aspects of this moment and all the perspectives on this moment. Jennifer's beautiful talk on radical acceptance is very much related to this talk of this topic of truth. So maybe there's some kind of denial or some kind of struggle with something that's arising in us or that's, as she said, it's already happened. By the time we're aware of it, it's already happened. So it's a pure waste of energy struggling with what's already happened. You know, and, and we have this belief that that's the way to fix what's going to happen is to somehow undo what, what's arising. <laughs> and it's just not, it's a waste of energy. It doesn't mean we can't work, you know, wisely for the future, but why waste energy fighting with what's already arisen instead of trying as much as possible to accept and recognize it? For me, this part of me of truth is often related to recognizing when I'm caught up in theorizing or generalizing or speculating or trying to predict the future. All those ways of using our minds are pretty disconnected from the truth. You know, it's a, a lot of a lot of trying to make sides out of things and make us and them and make groups and make understandings of what's going on at the national level as if there were a thing, as if the nation were a thing. The nation is a thing like the self, you know. It any statement you make about America is such a ridiculous generation generalization that which of the billions of seconds of the billions of people are you thinking of you know so when we talk about the fullness of truth the fullness of the ungraspability of the complexity of what's going on and the unknowability of what might happen next other than our best intention locally that we can put into it so just returning to the simplicity of the flow of direct experience knowing that this feeling, this emotion has already arisen out of conditions. It's the truth of the moment. This thought is, the fact that this thought has arisen is true, but the content of it and the implications that we're trying to draw from it are never the whole story, and they might not be true at all, right? So the parami of truth. And then the parami of resolve, taking a stand, having a place to stand, having a sense of commitment. So we can begin to notice doubt. We can notice wobbling. We can notice self-doubt. We can notice a kind of sense of, oh, I, I can't, I'm, I can't. Mm. What, what, can we, what can we take a stand on? You know, it doesn't mean that we can force things to happen in our time, but where is it that you can find in you that you can that you can feel yes i can stabilize my attention and my intention on this deep value of mine maybe you're giving in to cynicism or nihilism or fear in some way so where what is the deepest root of a value of yours that's relevant to this situation that you can resolve that this is important to you and you're going to let this guide you in this moment. 
not not wobble from that resolve. And in dealing with circumstances, it has to do with taking a long-term view. So it's related to patience and everything else we've been talking about. How can I stay steady one step at a time, taking the next step, doing what's in front of me? Just engaging, continue to engage in the practice, trusting the practice. This is a form of long-term resolve, long-lasting long engagement with everything that's going on in a way that's appropriate to all the factors of causes and conditions. And then last month we looked at kindness, loving kindness, goodwill. So in any moment, just check in, is your heart online? so to speak. Are you, is there a sense of warmth? Is there a sense of goodwill in this moment, of softness? Or have we become hard in some way? Is there a hardness in our attitude in this moment? Sometimes we need to back up and notice, am I feeling safe here? Am I feeling safe? Or am I feeling threatened somehow? And re- align ourselves with the inner sense of safety, the safety of all these paramis, the safety of the morality of our good intentions, the safety of our love, care for ourselves, our good wishes for ourselves. And it relates to energy, letting your energy fill out to feel safe, filling the whole space, the inner core of your body, clear out to your skin, thought it was very interesting that Ajahn Suchito in his chapter on kindness spent so much time in establishing safety, establishing our presence in our own skin. Because safety is really a prerequisite for the heart to relax into kindness, into this warmth. And then, of course, extending this goodwill to others. Can I see the suffering behind the difficult behavior of others? And let this, let this factor of metta that's in this list, let it expand to the whole prism of compassion, metta, sympathetic joy, and, of course, equanimity. And then that brings us back to equanimity, this evenness of mind. We've been reading this um, book by Ajahn Chah in a little little study group I have. And he he teaches in a very earthy way. And his summary was, you know, don't get drunk. He's talking to just country people. Don't get drunk. If it's pleasant, don't get drunk on the pleasure. If it's unpleasant, don't get drunk on the suffering. You know, experience it. Know what it is, but have that evenness and steadiness of mind that comes with equanimity where... You're fully letting in experience, but you're not drowning in it in either dimension, either the, the kind of exuberant giddiness of pleasure or the addictive qualities of some kinds of pleasure or the, the tendency to wallow in suffering. So this equanimity that keeps us buoyant as a buoyancy to equanimity that we're always kind of able to rise above and see what's going on and keep it in perspective. So I want to stop here, and I think we don't have time to do the whole breakout routine, 
but I would just love the question I wanted to ask really is what, what has this review of the year brought up for you? Some lesson that you learned during the year? Some of you have already spoken to this, but anything that, that this review has reminded you of that was important to you this year that you might like to make note of or remind yourself of? And what's most alive for you to keep cultivating and to work on? What's anything you'd like to say about what this whole course has woken up for you or what you want to take forward. So we have 10 minutes or so. Let's just do it as a big group, if that's all right. Conrad? I'd just like to express my complete gratitude for everyone in the Sangha and for all the great teachers because this year and the paramis feel like they totally set the scene for having equanimity, having patience for the, I'm going to call it the Corona times because we've been practicing it so in a, such a lived way and that we weren't caught in the flood. At least I know I wasn't feel like I was caught in the flood, right? When we started going into like the lockdown situation that could be there and hold space for people I love and people I feel difficult. So they would, be having their emotional reactions. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, that's how, that's, that's, that's what you're bringing right now. I hear it. I see it. And yeah. no longer being attached to their, their feelings and what's going on. Instead, being able to be a much more, much more of a resource of like love and calm and times are hard right now. And so I'm just so grateful for this class, uh, for the year of practice with everyone. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for everything. I really am. Thank you. Yeah, this this class started having its final exam somewhere in the middle, I guess. <laughs> somewhere in the last third. <laughs> How are we doing with all these farming? Thank you. That's beautiful. Mm. I'd like to very much. I'd like to. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Kate, and then Chris. Okay. Um, just to echo what Conrad said, um, just to express my um, gratitude to 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 to, to, to you three for um, for this course and um, being in the, living in the UK as I do, I started off. I've been following it initially um, um, on the recording, and it's been one of the, the silver linings for me of of this virus situation that I've actually been able to uh, connect uh, through Zoom, and it's it's been very lovely. I think one of the things I've, I've taken through with me that I'm going to carry on with is just the, the central importance um, of being grounded in the body and how that relates to every single one of the, the paramis that we've looked at. And, uh, you know, I find I can, I can become unmindful and I can forget very easily but when I can actually be aware that my, you know, my guts are tightening or my heart's beating faster, um, it's it's a great it's like a, a wake up bell and it's something that I'm definitely going to be carrying on exploring. So thank yeah. you, thank you all. Thank you, Chris. Would you believe I almost forgot? I mean, I kind of forgot what I was going to say in that short time, but I wanted to say it's good to see you, Kate. <laughs> so far away again. Thank you. <laughs> um, this, yes, this was a preparation for a difficult year, you know, a year where people had 
in, that I love had health problems. And, um, but I think that my, my pulling back to, to see myself, oh, I remember. I remember in one of the first sessions talking about how I wanted to change or take a good look at my image of myself of who I was, of the kind of person that had remained kind of tough all my life because I had been the victim for many years of, or I took that on. And I had this rough edge from living in New York for 40 years almost. And um, I think that, that that has come to soften you know, it's like somebody put a rock in my hand, said soften the rock, and then the paramis came along. And even though I wasn't aware of it all the time, that those those different feelings um, of generosity and wisdom, and I love the chart, by the way. Thank you so much for that. I They worked on me. You know, meditation, uh, the presentation of new problems coronavirus other things that happened prior to that and things that have happened since i i've been able to handle them much better and off and change that grasping to the tough little kid from brooklyn that i held on to for a very long time thank you thank you Um, I'd like to share a minute. Uh, I didn't realize I, we have to be on another Zoom thing at noon, but um, I just wanted to say, you know, uh, you speak the language of the heart, and over this last uh, however long we've been doing it, I just know when I hear the truth, and I hear the truth in your talks and your words and you, who you all are, and so that's you've given me um, a lot of gifts over this year, and uh, and it's uh, very much an attraction. So I'm going to look for some more classes and sign up. So I really uh, thank you, thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. I have to go. Okay. Bye bye. It's been lovely having you. A couple minutes left. Anybody? More thoughts? Looks like we can't hear you somehow. Yeah. You're unmuted, but I can't hear you. You oh, oh, oh. You I'm on my phone. <laughs> um, I just wanted to also share a bit of gratitude. I was living in San Mateo uh, <clears throat> and uh, I feel so lucky to have uh, found the center and, and uh, attended in person. And now we're living in Vancouver, BC. Um, and I'm um, uh, eight months pregnant. So uh, there's been lots of transition over the past year and, um, I joined uh, after the course had started, but it's just been so 
such a treat and um, to be able to participate in, uh, in the capacities that we have. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely I share the, that silver lining of being able to tune in from far away and have that continue on. So been really helpful. Thank you. Mitra? I just wanted to say thank you. And um, all this is slowly, slowly working on my heart. And it's, it's softening something. And it's doing, I don't know, I can't explain what it's doing, but I know it's doing something. And thank you so much, all three of you and, and all the other people too. Sorry, I can't see everybody. Oh. Um, I wanted to, yeah, Mitra just said it so well. There, this course has so deeply affected me. Just, it's just been amazing. Um, how, what an effect. I mean, I guess the timing was right for me to, to, to be hearing um, about part of the teachings. It just has opened up so much for me. And I want to say thank you, teachers. It was very generous of you guys to make such an incredible practicum happen as a worldwide pandemic so we could practice all of these things. Yes, that's, that was really, <laughs> that was really nice. <laughs> thank you all for your practice. Well, thank you all for coming. So giving us three the opportunity to have so much fun all year. <laughs> really enjoyed working together. Um, a couple of things I just wanted to, to uh, close with. Um, if you, a couple of resources that you may or may not have tapped into during the year. We just love the Ajahn Suchito book on Paramis. So if you haven't had a chance to read along with that this year, it's available free online and highly, highly recommended. And the other thing is uh, there's an, I think I mentioned this last time, but a new book has just come out that somebody wrote uh, about her year of working with Joseph Goldstein in the Paramis. It's called The Life of Integrity. And every chapter has uh, exercises that Joseph recommended that she do and then her reporting back to him on what she did. So that might be another way to review this list if it's really helpful to you. I and just then, uh, course, I, first, what? I just I just got that book today and it looks uh -huh. fantastic. I want to just sit down and read it. Yeah, I haven't read it myself. I'm looking forward to reading it, but it looks like it would be a great basis for reviewing all these factors. And then our, our, the three of us are going to teach this course in the fall on the eight worldly winds, which is really kind of a follow on to this because those are, it's an equanimity course. I mean, the course could be called a course on equanimity and what's, what's so hard about equanimity. <laughs> and so so uh, I hope some of you can join us for that starting in September and there'll be a sign up sheet available midsummer sign up page on, I, on the IMC website. Great. So Jennifer and David, any final words? Yes, I just wanted to echo something that Chris said is that um, it has been a joy to be with all of you. And I'm grateful to each one of you for showing up when you could. It is 
such a joy for the three of us to be able to offer whatever we can offer each month and know that there's this wonderful interaction and exchange, you know, we're all learning from each other and I've learned a lot from all of you. So just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And deep bows to each of you. Yeah. And um, there's an expression. If you really want to learn something, teach it. Um, And, uh, I have been learning so much, uh, uh, you know, like every month I, like this month I've been practicing equanimity every day. I've been thinking about equanimity every day. And, you know, last month I was all about resolve. So <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's been, been wonderful, a wonderful education for me uh, to, to deeply study the Parmes and to teach it to you and, and to feel, to feel, you all, you all are so, so wonderful. You're so responsive and you're so wise and, and warm and, and sharing. And, and this, has been, this has been a field of kindness to participate in. So I want to thank, thank you all for coming. And uh, hopefully we'll meet again. Yeah. Thank you. May... All the merit of all of our practice this year together and all of these paramis, may it all be dedicated to the welfare and the happiness and the liberation of all beings everywhere. Sati, sati, sati. Well, I don't have my bell. Ding. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yes. And if anyone, by the way, the, the book on the Parmes by Ajahn Susito, if any of you want an actual physical copy, um, just email, use the same email. And um, there, there is a group that does this for, I think, like $5. So you can have yeah. a physical copy to mark up. And the Joseph book is not actually by him. It's by the student. But if you search the life of integrity, Joseph, you'll probably find it. Can't remember her name. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Good. I'm so glad you could join us. Thank you.